it's nice to hear uh, praise connected with all that enthusiasm behind the praise, which is really God's design for us to connect uh, all of who we are to, with the things that he calls us to be. And we're called to praise him and declare his praises and to glorify his name through our lives and to do so in a way that truly says, uh, both verbally and non-verbally, that we sincerely believe that. And, and I hope you do. And I hope God's brought you to a place in life where maybe you've had some bumps and bruises and some uh, wrong turns and you've come to the realization uh, that God is actually your biggest fan no matter where you are. And that essentially uh, summarizes, I think, uh, some of the thoughts behind the series that we're doing called Thriving in Babylon. And if you look at the graphic, you'll see uh, a gate that is Nebuchadnezzar's gate, which is still intact and in a museum that's been, uh, it's been, it's been basically placed there for the purpose of helping people to walk through it and to see exactly what the experience was uh, 600 years before Jesus even walked on the earth. And the way we set up the graphic was to show uh, a sense of life and vitality uh, behind that gate. Then in reality, uh, most people did not see. Only the people who saw through eyes of faith and lived in that world that uh, recognized that the realities that are unseen uh, override the seen realities, uh, could they begin to thrive? And the study that we're doing in this uh, multi-part message series centers on a person named Daniel. Uh, if you were here last week, I heard Ari just did an awesome job talking about Daniel in the lion's den and how uh, that uh, is a, in microcosm a reflection of an experience that many of us have. And I just want to expand on, on that thought a little bit as we take each aspect of these sermons and just uh, uh, bridge them all together. And this morning, I, I want us to, to focus on something that has to do with why God allows us to thrive in circumstances that might be working against us. And as he does that, he uses us for the purpose of each of us being a signpost to him. And one of the biggest problems that the church is facing right now in, in North America is, uh, is really a, a, a disinterest in the good news that we have. And there is also uh, just a trending in a lot of circles, uh, a move away from the church by members of the millennial generation. And, and I have to ask the question, why is that? Why are people turned off? By the church. And this morning I think that one of the things that Daniel and his three partners in, in administration as God's representatives in Babylon kept pretty front and center. And that was the credibility that they had with the people that uh, they were placed uh, in front of. And I wonder sometimes if the church doesn't have a little bit of a credibility gap in the minds of some who are looking from the outside in and saying they don't really believe what they say they believe. And um, I have to wonder, is there any truth to that? And if there is, we have to own it and we have to say, yeah, you know, I'm not reflecting everything that Jesus said I should as I follow him. And 
uh, Daniel, as he is looking at what he's called into, uh, it's not a pleasant experience. It's a lot like the United States in 2016. We could make a lot of parallels between uh, uh, Nineveh and Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and the world of Babylon and the world that you and I live in. And, 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 and I think uh, rightly so. So uh, one of the first things I, I want us to recognize is that we have a challenge. And, and that is to take the heart and the love of God and make a connection with people that he is disconnected with. And um, if we could just show the first slide uh, in regard to that. Uh, it's a burden that I have. Um, how, how do we tell the world that is seemingly disinterested, that we serve a good God who loves every human being, no matter what. And this God has been at work from the beginning of time to recapture that which he foresaw would be lost and then that which is lost. And then many of us, he also saw coming into the kingdom. And as we do... He said, I want you to be a part of this great mission of connecting people back to me. But I want you to be my representatives. Like if if I were here and people were there and you were an angled mirror and they looked at you, they would see me. But how do we show God when people have maybe weird ideas about who God is and maybe we're responsible? How do we earn the right to be heard again and to influence others for good. And I just want to bless you, by the way. Uh, I just want to, I'm just in the habit of saying that during sermons lately. Um, uh, the, um, the, the thing that I think we have to ask is, um, what is credibility? And if you look at the Oxford Dictionary definition, it is the quality of being trusted and believed in, or the quality of being convincing or believable. Uh, and then another term for Street cred. Uh, it basically means that people look at you and they say that they're the real deal. Now imagine, I don't want to go too far into politics because we try to keep that out of this conversation. Uh, we're, we're, we're not um, trying to promote any kind of agenda. But this I, I do know, if I were at a convention at either uh, party or any party, chances are there's no way I could get up there and give a speech before thousands of people and say, I just want to tell you how I really feel about things. No, I'm not interested in telling those people how I really, really feel about things because chances are many of them would say I disagree wholeheartedly. So in that environment, I'd be saying, I just want to tell these people what they want to hear. Or I'd be saying, I want to tell these people something that will help me to move farther along in the process of that thing called politics. Or I want to tell these people something, but I know I can't, so I'm going to tell them, well, I'm going to tell them something that's going to get me elected. And it's just the nature of that environment that you can't really be believable. I mean, honestly, as you follow... uh, political debates and maybe have over the years have you ever said i believe everything that person promises is going to come to life when they get in office anybody feel that way ah oh, you're so jaded and so cynical 
Um, but do you want to feel that way? I mean, uh, let's say this was a perfect world. Would you want to say, I want our leaders to, to I, I believe that they're going to they're gonna do what they say. I mean, we all long for that, don't we? But we know when they're put to the test, it's not going to pan out the way uh, they said it would. They'll have reasons why they had to change, and, and we just know, okay, we roll our eyes and we say, yeah, that's true. Your credibility isn't really so great because under the test, what you say and what you do seem to be two different things. And that's why a lot of people are really turned off by that whole, that whole scenario. But when you turn on your TV right now, there's probably two options. Uh, matter of, I think for a lot of you, there's just one. But one option could be to follow the political dialogue through to the election. The other one is follow the tribe, right? Yeah. Now, do they have credibility? Well, of course they do. Because they're in that position because they, I'm assuming, they earn that position by playing well, by being cohesive as a team, having chemistry, having good coaching, understanding strategy, and getting themselves to that place. And we watched that, and we marveled because the end result of all of that work has produced the reward of being in the World Series. Now, when it comes to, comes to the Cubs, I'm, not, I'm skeptical, but uh, definitely one of those environments where credibility is just assumed, otherwise they wouldn't be there in the first place. Now, Daniel had street cred with everyone in Babylon. And it was something that I think wasn't easy for him to have. Uh, And eventually, as the story comes to a conclusion, he's there 68 over 68 years that ultimately, um, you know, he, he, he rides the whole 70 years out. And during that time, people are just looking to see whether or not all those things that Daniel mentioned about God were actually being lived out in his life in a way that said, yeah, he does believe in his God. And we've heard a few stories that point in that direction. But as we consider his credibility, we see that at the end of the story, people are saying, we want his God. But the state of affairs in our country isn't quite so good. Uh, here's, a, here's, a, here's a slide that represents a, um, uh, a, a storyline from the Christian Post. Millennials agree with Marx more than the Bible study finds. Now, why is that? I really don't know why they think that communism is possibly a better way than reading the Scripture. My conviction is that Scripture has a lot more to offer than than Marxism. But for some reason, many of the people in that young age group say, we don't find Christians or the Christian Bible a trustworthy guide. And as uh, other people are looking at their life situation, they're looking a little bit more skeptical at Christians as well. And, and so another story that you find uh, that's being highlighted here are from members of a community that, um, well, right now I don't see any representatives from that community, but here would be what they'd say. The white church is late to the racial reconciliation conversation. Um, 
Now, whether or not that's true, I, I honestly don't know. But for some reason, he has a sense that um, his view of Christianity and his understanding of what it's supposed to be doesn't have bearing on that conversation. And there's a tone of frustration there. And I can't address all of the social needs that we have politically because I'm not in a place where I can have that type of influence. And, I, and I'm guessing that probably most of you uh, can't either. But wherever God has placed you, that's the place to begin to influence the lives of the people around you. If you want to connect whoever God is putting in front of you uh, to God, you have to do so in a way where the, the life that you're living out aligns with the words that we read in the scripture that we find. And that's one thing that I especially love about Daniel. But if you can just stop for a second and put yourself in his shoes, maybe, maybe uh, what Daniel did in terms of his credibility may seem confusing. He had every right to be turned off by the people that God had put in front of him. Now imagine this is really just a list of things that scholars basically summarize are the difficulties that a young man, uh, and by his own account, uh, a nice-looking man, had to, had to face. First of all, being taken from, a, from an upper-class way of life to being kidnapped and pulled in chains to a, a completely foreign environment that worshipped crazy gods. And because he was such an upstanding, nice-looking, very intelligent person, alongside all of the nice-looking, beautiful women, that cohort of people were called into service for the king specifically. The women for the harem and, and the young men for the purpose of offering their skill sets to the, uh, to the service of the king. And in order to keep the two separate, I'm not even going to mention the second word. You can just figure that out for yourself. But that's what he went through, the humiliation of it. And one reason why scholars say that is because there's no lineage connected to Daniel or any of the others like there is in any good Jewish uh, storyline. There's always the connection uh, to, to, their, to the people before them and the people after them. And while he's there, he's forced to study the bizarre things that have to do with the occult. You know, the, the, the one 900 numbers that they used to have in the 80s. And you hear your hotline uh, tell you about the psychic uh, overview of your life. And he, had to, he was told, you got to take this stuff seriously. And, and, and he did. And having his name changed to say, my name was Daniel, but now it's, um, I'm a servant of, of, of the demon Bell. And then finally he's forced into service of a wicked king in general. All right, now, put yourself in his place. What would your attitude be if you were Daniel in the wake of all of that? Would you be saying, I'm going to do the best that I can to help these people understand who God is. Uh, my first reaction is, hardly. But my second reaction is, 
there's a larger picture here that I'm called to be a part of. And for reasons I don't fully understand, for reasons that honestly don't make any sense, I have to do whatever it is that I have to do to represent God under these conditions. And maybe God is telling you that despite what you're going through or where you're at or the kind of people that you have to deal with, God is likely saying the same thing. I put you here for a purpose. And it's not pleasant, but I want you to know that you have to live in this sort of alternate reality so that you can be the person that you you need to be because what is happening here is not the end game. The end game, it's what's going to happen next. And for you and I, we know that living in Babylon isn't our destiny, but rather coming out of Babylon and being called into something beautiful like God's paradise or God's new creation. That really is the goal. And it doesn't make sense from this point of view to say I had to go through that to get to there. Or other people didn't have to go through that, but I have to go through that. And you could just talk all day long about how God really is not... You would just have a lot of doubts. Maybe about his credibility. But Daniel, for some reason, did not waver. So let's look at where he was at. The king placed Daniel in a high position and gave many gifts to him and made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, he placed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as administrators over the provinces while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. How did this person who was so mistreated find a place in Nebuchadnezzar's um, reign of such influence? And how did he manage to take the mind of Nebuchadnezzar and, and important people and say, we have credibility, we are trustworthy, we, in the role that we're called to perform, can add a lot of value to your life. And they saw that, and they didn't understand it, but because, because God had placed them there, they said, we're here to influence. Well, how did he do that? How would we do that? How would you, I mean, could you honestly say, I could do what Daniel does? I would say none of us can. But what he did to enable himself to live out his life in that confusing world called Babylon is he lived inside a world called prayer. In Daniel 6, I won't go there, but it essentially summarizes how Daniel three times a day would pray towards Jerusalem. And as he did, he would take into account who God was, how God could help him in the moment, and how God could work through him to influence the life of the king and the people around him so that they would begin to see God as he does. And so he lived in this world called prayer. And prayer isn't just something you do in church. It is an ongoing conversation with God that says, God, I need to talk to you about something on my heart. Now, if you have kids, you know how this works. Um, I have 
I have one son that is 16 years old, and I would, I would equate his ability to tell me on a, what's on his heart to uh, the same thing that happens to the space shuttle as it begins to enter the atmosphere. All of a sudden, for three minutes, we have no contact. We don't know how he's doing. I'd love to know what's going on in his heart, but I can't because, well, kids that age, they don't tell you much. And so you just wait and wait and wait, and you think, fingers crossed, I hope he, he gets through it. And then, next thing you know it, you hear, the, you, hear, you hear the sounds of the voice come back. And you're like, oh, thank you, Lord. And I don't want my kids to come and just tell me the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I want them to tell me what's on their heart, that they're hurting, that they're thinking dark thoughts, or that they're thinking about harming themselves, you know, if things were to take that turn. I'd want to know. I'd want them to know that I'm a safe place. I'm a trustworthy place. That I'm going to do everything that I can to help them with that. And Daniel, despite what he went through, found that his ongoing conversation with God was his safe place in an unstable, crazy world. And I wonder, do you talk to God at the gut level? Because that's where he really wants to hear you talk. He wants to know what's on your heart because he knows you're in a place that, that can chew you up and spit you out. And Daniel realized prayer is the environment that I live in constantly. Second thing, he recognized he was a stranger from a, another place with a greater purpose. And that really is no different for you and I. God's vision was to establish a people and a kingdom And to allow that kingdom rule to reign through the lives of the people that live in that kingdom as they honor their king through lives that reflect uh, his character and his purpose. And that would be us. And that kingdom can be in any other kingdom or country or nation or state. And that kingdom is there to influence all the others. How does that work for us? Peter, uh, when he's writing about living in the Roman Empire which was described as Babylon by John in Revelation, he said to to people like us, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers, abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, but live in such good lives among the pagans. He doesn't mean that derogatorily. He just means people that don't have God in their lives. Live such good lives that though they're trying to find ways to accuse you or point the finger at you or to tear you down, that all they can say at the end of the day is, I just see them doing good things. I just see them being helpful. I just see them caring and, and, and doing things that they shouldn't do because they've been wronged by people and yet they're loving them back. And when they do, when they see that, they're like, yeah, Their God, their God is awesome. There's just nothing else we can say. He's a good God. And the end of the book of Daniel basically has people, a lot of people, saying that. And I wonder, in the world that you and I live in, do people look at our lives and say, man, that person's God is awesome. Because if he's like they are, He's worth paying attention to. Well, how do we thrive in Babylon? It's not easy. Because if we want to influence modern-day Babylon, 
We have to change our tactics from just pointing the finger at all the wrongs that are happening culturally. I mean, this is not a Christian culture anymore. There are facets of it that have Christian elements, but it's not, it's not Andy Griffiths. And the only way that we can really make a difference is just to come alongside people in their pain. Because I'm guessing there right now are a lot of hurting people because uh, the, the tides of, of insanity are, are, are rushing over. And people are scared. People are worried. And it begins with themselves and their families and it expands out to the, the country that we live in, to the globe that they feel is being threatened. So how do we... How do we have credibility with them? Here's the end of the message. Two things. One, humility. And humility is not a lack of self-esteem. It isn't like, I don't, I don't love myself. Because Daniel had this sense that, yeah, I just have a pretty good bead on my capabilities, my qualities. I mean, it be described in the first chapter. Uh, we were men who were nice looking. We were capable. We, we were kind of the cream of the crop. And he wasn't trying to say, we're special and everybody else is not. He was saying, this is an assessment of what we've been given. And we want to take whatever qualities God's given us. And we just want to use that for his purpose. And so rather than parading around saying, we're better than you. They just said, how can we serve? How can we help? They were assertive about it. They said, we understand administration. We understand how to govern. If you want us to help out there, we'll do that. And humility really is, in the biblical sense, it's not, it's not saying, I, I, I am of no value, but rather saying, these are the, the capabilities that God's given me. These are the resources I have. How can I use all of them to serve other people? Daniel and the three guys that he hung out with, they, they were humble people. They would be what people would call in leadership circles, egoless leaders. They just didn't think about themselves. You saw that list. If they were thinking about themselves, they would have just been mad. But they're like, God's got a bigger plan. I'm just going to do whatever it is that he calls me to do. If he put a nut job like Nebuchadnezzar in charge of the whole thing and allowed him to take control of our country, well, then that's the nut job that we got to work with. Let's just do our best. God's in control of him. He's letting it happen. We don't understand. Matter of fact, we don't even know how this is going to end. But we know that God's got our backs. And here's the second thing, respect. I think one of the reasons why you have narcissistic people want to go to the top of the food chain or people walking around with no sense of worth whatsoever and everything in between is because God designed us for respect. And when we don't get it, we feel devalued. And the one thing that is so good about the good news is to tell people, no matter where you're at in your station in life, 
God respects something about you that you can't change. And that is that you are made in his image. And God respects that enough that he says, if you want to go your own way, please, I'm not going to force you. But he also respects it enough to say, however, I'm going to do everything that I can to capture your attention so that I can take what, what I've made you to be and make you better and draw you close. And that really is why we're here. And when we disrespect other people, we're basically saying, yeah, the image of God in you, no matter if you're from another race or if you have a different sexual orientation or any other political hot-button issue, we say, look, I, I, I can't help you with those things, but I can help you know a God who can help you with whatever it is that you're struggling with. And our job is just to be the signpost that says those people have credibility. Those people reflect a God that I'd like to, I'd like to find some answers for life from. And I'd like to be part of those people that say, if God's pointed you to come here, come on in. It's a big family. And we want you to be a part of it. He's made that possible through what he's accomplished on the cross. Enabling us to come close to God in such a way that God no longer calls us strangers in the sense that we're strange to him. But rather children in the sense that he loves us and we love him back. And there's nothing like being a part of a family where that kind of love prevails.